1: coming back to us here on Spin the Rally Pod, I'm rally fan Lisa O'Sullivan with a minor role in today's episode. We're bringing you another retrospective, a look back to the golden age of rallying. And we are living it through the eyes of our contributor to Spin the Rally Pod, George Donaldson, with his historic Team knowledge, a former team boss, of course, but a man who has worked on the safari rally more times than I have fingers on my hand. Now, as we come into this podcast, preparations are continuing for a possible return to Africa for WRC Cruise. It's scheduled to take place at the beginning or the middle of July, July the 16th to the 19th. And the supplementary regulations should be out by the end of this week. That is the 16th of May. So, We'll keep you up to date here on Dirtfish.com on the latest developments and whether that WRC round will survive the coronavirus outbreak. But for now, we're going to go back in the past. And it is Colin Clark, the voice of Raleigh himself, who's taken George to one side to sit back and relive those Raleigh years.
0: George, an awful lot of people will remember you from your days with the Subaru World Rally team in the early noughties. But my goodness me, you cut your teeth on the Safari Rally. And that's what we're talking about today is the Safari Rally. It still looks as if we're going to the Safari this year, which would be fantastic. The first time in nearly 18 years. But tell us about your first time on the Safari, George. Where did your relationship and how did your relationship with the Safari Rally start?
2: Well, it was my second African WRC rally. I had the privilege of going to the Iv- Ivory Coast in 1985 and 1986 was my first safari rally. So the only uh, safari rally I got to do with the Group B Celica. I got uh, I got two um, Ivory Coasts, one uh, safari with that Group B Celica and numerous uh, other uh, rallies that we did uh, with the team in that uh, sort of a 12-month period I had with them with the Group B. So Safari Rally, when when you get there, um, is, you know, such an iconic event for anybody that's... I mean, like myself, I'd been a, a, an absolute rally devotee for 10, 11, 11 years of my life to, to be arriving in Kenya. Uh, and it was direct from Sweden. I'd done the Swedish rally myself as a driver um, in 1980... In 1980... Six. Did we finish? I think we finished. Yes, we did. We finished, um, and then uh, straight, literally off the finish ramp, <laughs> my service crew took me to uh, to the airport in Stockholm, Orlanda, wow. where I got where I met two Swedish uh, mechanics, and uh, we got on a flight and headed off to Kenya. Swiss Air flight from there to Zurich. The flight was cancelled or delayed. Technical delays. We got put in a hotel and. In uh, Zurich overnight, and then flown down to Kenya a day late, and I can I well, can remember we arrived in the me? morning. How did that come about? Well, um, when I when I'd taken myself out to do WRC rallies and driving very small cars, um, being a forward sort of person, uh, you know, you, you end up chatting to lots of people, and you're out there on these events. There's a whole load of professional people. Now, this was at a time before Schengen zone and it was difficult to get around in Europe with a rally car and parts and spares. Anyway, myself and my very small team of, of uh, total four people, um, we got ourselves to Sweden uh, repeatedly. And you, you, you get talking to professionals. And they meet you and what are you doing here? You hear spectating, no, we're driving, what are you driving? Oh, you're, that, you're in that Mini or Fiesta at the back of the field. How do you manage to get here? Well, we just figured out how to organise it and we, we just got on with it. We chased along a whole load of deals. And they start to realise that what you're doing is a miniature of what they're doing. Actually, you're a pretty handy guy because you've done it all yourself. You're exactly the sort of person that's needed in a world rally team. And so you 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 meet people, you keep in touch with them. You know, if you get a phone number or an address, you send them letters. You phone them up every now and again. This at a time when a a phone call to a foreign country would have been costing you, you know, literally a pound a minute and a pound a minute back in the the early eighties, uh, the early to mid eighties was um, more like a five or a minute now. You know, in terms of uh, the the value to you. So yes, yeah, so it was. It was uh, you just you just gathered the uh, the connections. I was very lucky. Fred Gallagher, one of the WRC top WRC co-drivers of the time of the whole era. In fact, uh, he he just moved to Scotland and in Edinburgh. I lived in Edinburgh. How handy was that? Well, I, I was always nervous to make a nuisance of myself, but I just kept myself around and. Fred phoned me up one day saying that we're off to do a an REC test for uh, for this Celica. Uh, that was in that was in 1985, so it was an early test. It was an autumn test for REC, and they were doing it in uh, I think it was at Kershup stage down uh, down just uh, near near Moffat, um, uh, just 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 east of Moffat. Um, they were doing a, a rally test there for a few days. Did I want to come down for the day's testing? Well, I just took a day off work, and, um, and off, down I went with Fred. Met the team manager, Henry Lyddon. Met Bjorn Waldegard. Wow. Met various wow. mechanics. And got chatting to them. Didn't make a nuisance of myself. In fact, it wasn't Bjorn. It was Juha that was testing. So this was 1985 REC Rally test. And uh, Henry Lyddon got uh, chatting to me about this and that, and the next thing asked me what I'd done, asked me what I did, etc., cetera, etc., cetera and basically it was anything to have money to have a rally car at that time and um about um, a month or so later he called me up and said can you go to the ivory coast for 3 weeks uh, to do to be a mud car and a mechanic for us So a mud car mechanic basically and you can help me because I because I was the car club uh, magazine editor at the time um, he said, "You can type up all the service plan for me. I've, I'll have been round the route, and you can help me type it up and form it up and everything." Uh, yeah, incredible opportunity. This was a phone call one morning, just leaving the house. It was about eight eight fifteen in the morning, and I was a bit a little bit late leaving for work. And I, and I, but I answered the phone. The happiest phone phone I ever answered. And uh, Henry said, "I need to know if 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 you can go. I'm going to buy the tickets now if you say yes." And this was in uh, it was in about. Uh, Four weeks' time, it was literally four weeks before the Ivory Coast. Three, maybe three weeks before the Ivory Coast. I just had time to get my inoculations, and um, he said, uh, "He said, would you, would you, could you do it?" And uh, I just, I just uh, didn't even think about it. I Said, "Yes, absolutely." He said, "Well, what about your work?" And I said, "Well, um, I, I, um, I can get the time off work, no problem. It's not work's not an issue. Um, I've got three or four jobs. I'll get the time off." He said, "Look, I'm going to buy the ticket. Don't let me down." no, I won't let you down, and uh, went into work and just handed my notice in. <laughs> there was no other thing to do, as you would, as you would. So it's another story, isn't it? Uh, anyway, so anyway, I ended up in Ivory Coast and, and I was useful. I, I did lots of things. I ended up on a spotter plane on the first leg, which was an almost impossible task. That is another story, definitely. Um, using a spotter plane over tropical jungles you are on a hiding to nothing, very, very difficult job with a pilot that speaks no English, uh, a, a co-pilot that spoke no English and a, a co-driver, a French co-driver who spoke a tiny amount of English to match my tiny amount of French. But we all spoke rally, so it was fine. And, and we did a, a reasonable job, uh, but not without its um, its little hiccups on the way as well. So it wasn't, it wasn't the best. I got very dehydrated and was sick all the oh. next night. Anyway, an incredible an incredible experience, and I ended up out in Africa. Now, Avenue Coast was one thing. It was amazing to be there, but all you ever see is trees. You know, you're never more than 20 metres from a jungle tree, so you see no views. All of a sudden, you arrive in Kenya, and it is the most amazing country. It is utterly magical. It is the pearl of Africa. It is gorgeous, mm. and, and it's filled with George- lovely, lovely people.
0: I think it's it's fair to say. I mean, we can tell from that description there that you very much have an affinity with with Kenya. Uh, you know, you became known as as the Safari Man, didn't you? You were you were the man that spent a lot of your year out there preparing for that one event. These these were different days in rallying. There were different budgets, different commitments, different yeah, I suppose, objects from the manufacturers, but. Uh, you know, you've told me before you would spend what up to six months in Kenya.
2: Latterly, well, latterly, in the in the heyday of the event, up until 1995, it was still a massive event. It was still a, you know, two to three thousand competitive miles. From '96 onwards, it became a sort of special stage event more. Uh, so the the mileage dropped to just uh, well under. I think it was just on a thousand kilometres in '96. The event changed massively at that point. Uh, and I, I mean, I guess it had to to survive to bring the whole WRC teams to it and to maybe get into line with with cost savings. It changed radically at that point. Um, yeah. So when I first went out there, that was the third year of the success of the Group B for the Celica. So the team was very, very well prepared, very well balanced. We w- we went out for uh, I think about eight weeks. Uh, so I was I was part of the early group that went out. Um, so it was straight after Sweden rally It was a late safari that year um, um, Easter was late So I went out straight after Sweden And we started immediately doing doing the recce So it was Bjorn Waldegard, Lars-Erik Torp And um, who else was there? Um, German driver Erwin Weber um, He was the kind of also-ran I guess in a way And without being cruel to him But he, he wasn't in the same ballpark as the, as the other two drivers uh, Far from it um the uh, and we we just we just wrecked the hell out of the place. But the wrecking went incredibly well. It was a dry year, very, very dry year, and we were doing uh on one particular day, Bjorn made a thousand, it was eleven hundred kilometres of stages he drove. And I remember Fred saying we have broken eleven hundred kilometres today. It was a section out of Nairobi and we went we went we went up over the Mau Escarpment. It went right out towards Kusumu, well through Kericho. We, we even stopped. We stopped for uh, we stopped for 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 uh, a coffee, uh, well, a, a breakfast actually at the Kericho Tea Hotel. I mean, it, honestly, it's as good as it sounds. The Kericho Tea Hotel. It's gorgeous, and you go in there. You sit out in the veranda, overlooking a valley filled with tea trees, which is so green, almost hurts the eyes and someone brings you a lovely cup of tea and and some toast and you know bacon sandwiches whatever you want it's great and then you're on your way again Kasumi we went away north up kakamega um uh, I-10, was it I-10? i can't remember we by we by bungoma then we went away up past kitale uh, up to the north and back to that that was the 1100 kilometer day and that particular day <laughs> But my my co service crew. So I was the young uh, snotty Scott, um, who didn't know it all. I have to say, I never ever pretended I knew it all, but I just kind of got on with it. Um, I was in a, the van with petrol and tyres. So I was driving this high ace van <laughs> with uh, I would have had six drums, six hundred six two hundred litre drums of fuel in the back, a sort of big fast fill fuel device that sat on a plywood plank. With a pipe that you threw into a fuel drum, and the other pipe you threw into the back of the rally car, all open stuff, and I and I would have had probably um, uh, four or maybe five complete sets of tires, roof rack, and on top of all the on top of all the uh, the, the fuel vans. Basically, what it was was a crude napalm device, <laughs> <laughs> and you were driving around in Kenya Shoot. like hell. To, well, not really like hell. You when you you pushed as hard as you had to, but you know you weren't you weren't going slowly anywhere or anything you were just driving banging around the place i didn't drive anything like a thousand kilometers that day obviously i wasn't doing the sections i I would have maybe done five or six hundred kilometers anyway my co-service crew managed to sleep in uh, and uh, they were they were a little bit uh, arrogant at the time and uh, um told I'd said look uh, well I'll give you a call when I, when my alarm goes off and you give me a call in the morning no 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 we don't need your help blah 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 okay fine anyway I just I just got out in the morning uh, ordered my breakfast to take with me ordered their breakfast to go with me as well and uh, off I went it got to the first uh, the first refuel point where's the other guys they've not pitched did you give them a call they absolutely told me not to they told me to f- actually <laughs> oh, sorry <George. laughs> one one for the one one for the beep there, sorry, and um, <laughs> it, it, we continued uh, bjorn was on a roll. things were going well, the car was fine, it didn't need any parts, so I mean it basically did uh 1100 kilometers that day competitive and and uh, and Fred wrote notes for the entire route. they decided they would just write notes for the entire route, and that was the first year that bjorn was doing safari rally with Fred because he'd just switched from uh, Hans Torselius to Fred Gallagher. So they were rewriting all the notes in English. So Fred wrote 1,100, well, probably more than that. Or maybe, maybe that was the total distance we'd done, actually. Maybe it was 1,100 kilometres was the total distance we'd done. But he wrote notes for the whole thing, yes.
0: I, I'm just sitting enjoying these wonderful stories. But just remind us what year that is, George. This
2: is 1986. So it the last short, year, the so last Gallagher year of, of Group B, the last year of Group
0: B. Yeah, and Gallagher the previous year in '85 had won with Kankinen in a That's Toyota. Correct, yes, so he's he he an experienced yeah. co-driver. He, 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 you know, he knew what was needed to win. Oh, absolutely, so clearly, absolutely. Clearly, it was a very, very professional uh-huh. approach from Fred but, and from but, Bjorn. Because Bjorn had won it a couple of times himself previously, had
2: uh, uh, Bjorn had. Bjorn won it in 1984. Uh, Fred, Fred and Juha won it in '85. Um, uh, and Bjorn, has, uh, Bjorn had won it previously, of course, I'm sure, I'm sure he had. Bjorn was an absolute, really, really an absolute gentleman and a, such a sportsman, so determined, he was the, the epiphany of professionalism in the same way that, you know, Carlos Sainz has become the epiphany of professionalism. Sebastian Loeb, Sebastian Ogier, the epiphany of a professional, you know, um, how would you call it, um, approach filled with humility. You know, not, nothing boastful about any of those names I just mentioned. They just get on with it and do a proper good job. And that was Bjorn. And, uh, and he was George, lovely that, to be with. And George, he looked after George. you. And, and he made sure everyone was okay. And he worked and worked and worked.
0: But do you know what? I've listened to the Derek Dornsey podcast about the Mitsubishi team and their approach to the Safari Rally. And he, he was equally complimentary about his drivers at the time. And what he said was he said the difference really from obviously Derek's not involved in the World Rally Championship full time anymore. He does occasionally turn up with Ken Block, uh, but he's seen and he knows a lot of these top drivers nowadays. And he knew and he worked with a lot of top drivers back in the 80s, 90s and early 90s. And he said that the big difference is that in those days, the drivers were very much team players. They very much did what they had to do because they wanted to succeed, not necessarily for themselves, but for the teams. And that sounds as if, you know, maybe drivers nowadays a little bit uh, self-centred, you might say. You know, they do it for themselves. They do it for whatever they can get out of it rather than the team necessarily. But back in the day, the driver was very much there for the team.
2: Colin, no short answer to this one. Apologies to the listeners for that. But, But here we go. So, um... There are there are good and bad people, drivers, whatever, everywhere, and I and I think that that sounds a little bit unfair to the modern driver, saying that they're you know they're not they've not got the interests of the team at heart. I'm sure that's not the case. I'm absolutely sure that's not the case. You know we know everyone knows it's public knowledge that uh, that Tanak and Tommy Mackinan didn't get on. But Ott worked very, very hard for the benefit of the team, and he very often you heard him making public comments about you know wanting to look after the team and making sure everyone's okay, and he cared about it as well. And and you know very often you've got to understand that there's 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 different uh, there's different dr- there's different uh, motivators um, uh, f- for for the team. Obviously, Ott is wanting desperately to win rallies. He wants desperately to be world champion. Tommy has. Obviously, a huge commercial investment on behalf of his employer he's having to deliver you know he'll have a set of targets, Tommy, you know, go and win me this rally, win me this championship uh, I need you to do this, I need you to not spend up spend too much money. all manner of drivers, so in- inevitably, there are little bits of rub between different people, and you know it's competition as well, so the emotions are always running hot. In competition. I always used to say, in fact, it was, it was a, 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 a very valued colleague, a, a chap called Richard Cragen, uh, who, who used to say, um, if you can't actually have an argument on a rally, you know, a moment of stress uh, or, or, you know, extreme stress or, or drama, uh, uh, and then just recover from it with, with, with your friends, with your colleagues immediately then you're in the wrong business of course you know the emotions are going to run hot every now and again somebody will make a decision that someone else thinks is wrong and it'll get a bit heated for a few minutes this is normal Uh, and and, you know it's a competitive everybody's there wanting to win so I think it's a little bit unfair to say that the drivers of old were better team players than the drivers now the whole uh, the whole ethos and and method of an event has changed slightly I mean ultimately you know a modern driver can't be selfish for himself to get exactly what he wants to the detriment of the team. You know, if he's trying to get the biggest salary possible. Blah 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 blah. It means the team's going to have less money to spend on, uh, on development. So you know, what's the point? What's the point of him? You know, getting an extra couple of million bucks and he's never going to be world champion. His career's going to be a lot shorter. And these guys can figure that one out. May I tell you what, the drivers can figure out. Sometimes some of the management teams behind them, I would have a couple of questions about them. Because they're they're not they're not perhaps looking at it the same competitive way that uh, the driver and the teams will. So yeah, there's always going to be a bit of a rub. I I, I wouldn't say that um, you know. I've, I mean I've compared Bjorn Waldegard and, and Carlos Sainz and Sebastian Loeb, Sebastian Auger, all four I regard as absolute gentlemen, filled with humility, filled with determination, and and they stretch across actually four eras. You know, one melded into the other. You know, Bjorn melded into Carlos's career, or Carlos melded into Bjorn's career. Sebastian Loeb melded into into uh, Carlos's career, and Sebastian Auger melded into Loeb's career. There's four drivers across four generations of rally cars, you know, the better part of 40 years plus. and And I, and I think that there were four, four world champions and uh, uh, four multiple world champions, in fact, and and uh, they all had a very, very similar ethos about them. Yeah, they looked after the team. So Bjorn, we were out there on safari. You know, he would be going through a section. Uh, he would be telling you which route to use on the road section. George, don't go that way. That's a rough road. Go this way. i will take you a wee bit longer, but we'll just wait at the top. Don't worry about it. We'll get a coffee in the hotel up there. You know, just making sure you were OK. Not selfish at all. and and giving you, you know, when you stop for lunch when you stop for dinner the stories that you would get from these guys was amazing so, yeah, that first year I was there I think we did a three week recce so we must have gone round the the entire route maybe three or four maybe even five times in that three week period there was then a week off when uh, I think the drivers went away and did something else I remember I got a week at the beach fantastic it was good in fact I didn't get a week at the beach I, I, I got a week off and the the Toyota dealer let me use one of the team cars and I went away touring around Kenya on my own in a cut down Celica it was <laughs> had a fuel tank inside the boot and slightly better suspension on it I went everywhere with that car I went through every national park I went up into the mountains with it Around and about places that the rally didn't go, some places that the rally did go that I wanted to see that I hadn't seen on the recce. I was careful. I didn't have any problems. Stopped in a couple of nice hotels.
0: So George, t- tell us how you go from that position, from driving. Mm. What, what did you call it? A mud car?
2: Uh, no. Well, that was the very, the very first, the very first, the very first event. Well, I was a mud car mechanic, so I was in a, a Land Cruiser uh, HG fifty five. It was fifty five. Yes, uh, short wheelbase. We had fuel, we had tyres, we had a couple of struts um, some yeah, and a toolbox. I had a toolbox yes. and some suspension links. In the, and, and we were put into all the difficult places in the Ivory Coast. In Kenya, we had the same sort of things. We generally used locals in them. Um, but in Kenya, you could use a helicopter. So you had a, you had a helicopter. And in, in, in Ivory Coast, you couldn't because there was just, just trees everywhere. It was jungle. Helicopter was useless.
0: But tell us how you go from that, George, to being... Toyota's main man out in Kenya to being ah well, a go-to uh, man, right-hand man. How, how did and and it happened over a relatively short uh, period of time, didn't it?
2: Yeah, you ever seen one of those movies how how to murder your boss? <laughs> 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 no, Colin, um, just happenstance, really. Right place, right time. I, you know, if if anybody asked me to do anything, the answer was always yes. Dead simple. And, and 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 I would find out what I was doing, I would work hard at it, I would learn, I was a quick learner, uh, I was a detailed learner, and and uh, you know, uh, when you don't know how to do something and you're being asked how to do it, um, it's going to take you a bit longer, well, there's 24 hours in a day, uh, you, you just get up a little bit earlier and, and, and work right through t- till it's done, sometimes there's big mountains of work to do and you think... Will I ever get clear of it? You just keep digging away, and eventually you get it done. So that you know, I, I think it was just that—that was the person that said yes. Um, I I didn't tend to drink very much. I wasn't much of a drinker, and I suppose to some extent the the sober man and a team full of <laughs> heads tends to be quite useful. <laughs> um, the um, uh. yeah, and that, maybe that's why I was out that day doing the recce, and, and the other uh, the, the two Swedes weren't. Um. <laughs> um. The uh, the reason I didn't drink was because any any money I had, any money I had, just went into rally cars. So you know it, it was tires, it was suspension, it was brakes, it was entry fees, it was travel expenses. I, I just spent everything I had on rally. So there was never a money for a beer. I just never ever got a taste for beer. I have I mean, I have to confess to having the odd gin and tonic, sitting in the bar at the end of the day in uh, in in Kenya, but i never and I, i'm not I'm not really a, a hardened heavy drinker at all yeah. far far from it so, so yeah, so I mean I was basically the person that was available in the morning and eventually you you know people start to realize how useful you are um you say yes to everything, you're always there, you never let anybody down, never let anybody down uh always do the job, do the job right um Sometimes to your own personal detriment. I mean, I've I've taken a few canings over the years, but um, not 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 regarding Safari Rally. But um, in Safari Rally, basically, um, I remember when I when I got offered the job of of effectively, you know, workshop stroke event manager. I think you'd you'd have to call it in Kenya. It, we were just on our way to Cataluna Rally, must have been nineteen ninety one, and I bumped into Dagoror, our uh, our African engineer. Uh, or, you know he had, well he was our team engineer but he, Africa was his thing that's what he loved and uh, I said they were just about uh, you know we were just starting to get ready to go to Kenya before Christmas um so they did we did a pre Christmas test by then this was in '92 so uh, the the um, the events had changed our cars had changed obviously to the 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 the, the Group A four wheel drive Celicas and it had been a very very long hard development and they just kept that ethos up of these huge, huge tests. It was an important uh, thing for Toyota at the time. At that time, you didn't have to do all the world championship events, although although by then we did. Uh, but we just we just kept up this six-month pro, uh, presence in Kenya. I, 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 Lancia did the same at the time. Um, so I, I, I bumped into the corridor and said, oh, you're just about off to Kenya. Um, we I coming out for the high-speed test? And he said, He said, you just away to Cataluna? Yes. He said, how about... Um, we just had the, the guy, the previous guy that had been doing the uh, workshop manager in Kenya, who had been with us for a number of years, a very, very good friend, David. He uh, he'd, was just disappearing off to Tanzania, taking a job there instead of the rally. So Dave Myers was leaving. Would I be prepared to go? And I said, yeah, that'd be fine. He said, right, you need to go out on Saturday and this would be like the Tuesday. So I was taken off Cataluna. I went home, packed my bag for Kenya and off out. I went to Kenya for six months. Wow, so, but it would be from uh, that would be from mid October until until the end of uh, the end of April, beginning of May.
0: I mean, I mean, remarkable, and they were very different days. And you know, I think what a lot of people forget as well is that the you know the safari car was very much a car that was designed and built for that event. It wasn't as if you could just take a gravel car and say, OK, well, we'll just put a little bit of extra suspension travel on it. We'll put a little bit of extra protection underneath it and off you go. Uh-huh. It was more or less a ground up, uh-huh. you know, well, newly designed specific car, wasn't it?
2: Absolutely. Now, I mean, I, I hope that most folks have listened to the rather excellent stories from uh, from Derek Dauncey last week about his experience on Safari 96, uh, namely that event. I mean, and what an incredible job that team did. The Mitsubishi team came there. They understood what they had to do. They leveraged every advantage they could. They looked at what they had and they did a brilliant job, an absolutely brilliant job. It was a, an absolutely, it was the first of the special stage events. The longest section was probably 70 or 80 kilometres. I don't think there was anything very much longer than that, Um fuel tanks were a bit smaller than they had been. We'd been running 160-litre fuel tanks. I think we were down to 120-litre fuel tanks. But listen to the stories from Derek. You, you heard about their car, you know, just really surviving. You know, they, they repaired it, they figured it out, they up it, and then they did a brilliant job of interpreting it. That year, 96, we went... Well, that, that was the year we were effectively... Toyota was banned, so we went there as a, as a, a customer team, Although it was the factory team that was that we were providing the, the technical cover and we provided the um, uh, uh, the, the the event management and the facilities and everything. But it was we had um, local drivers. Ian Duncan, I think Yoshi Fujimoto was probably there, and we had both a few other drivers. Both previous winners, George. Both previous winners. Oh yeah, we went there. We went there. We went there with with what should have been a reasonable chance to win. Um, yeah. however, 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 we went with a few a few uh, handicaps One of which, um, for some reason I can't quite remember the reason We weren't allowed the, the team Within the team engineering I think there had been some discussion I don't quite know what the issue was we, we didn't have the proper top mounts for the car We had aluminium top mounts Rather than titanium top mounts On the suspension A known weakness so we had to we had to drive the car a little bit more carefully than normal, uh, and for a long time we were involved in the three way push for the lead of that event, and um, uh, it, it was there was a huge huge fight and I mean it must have been was it maybe the second maybe the maybe the near the middle middle towards the end of the rally, and it was the end of the day it would have been neck and neck literally just a few minutes between Tommy. Uh, Ian Duncan and I th- I mean would it have been Colin McRae? Can't remember who the third driver was. Um but we were doing a section from M- M- Mount the from these this this huge escarpment above Lake Naivasha, where the rally's going to be. And it was quite a quite a long section. It would be one of the longer sections, 70 or 80 kilometers from a place I think it started at a place called El Elbergen. Came up the Mau escarpment, over the top and then it it, uh, it crossed over the, the main road, competitive, and then right along the top of the Mau escarpment, uh, and I can't remember the wee place where it comes to, where it then you're headed south, right down the back of this escarpment, and you come down this rather steep, long descent for about 30 kilometres to, to, to Lake Naivasha, and I, I always forget the name of the little town that's just at the junction there, um, just just to the north of Hell's Hellsgate National Park, we had a service zone there and uh, the cars were coming down there neck and neck and Ian there were some huge um, the dust holes, so you, you, the road looks perfect, but in fact there's a, a massive hole and it's filled literally with dust and he'd gone through one of them now it was a big hit, normally the car would have survived it, but he broke I think both rear top mounts and um, Of course, the car filled with dust, and he had no rear, no rear shockers, and he had to slow down a little bit. And I think, I think we hemorrhaged about seven or eight minutes there, which put us a little bit back from the lead. So um, we we didn't uh, we didn't quite have the car that we needed to 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 challenge at the front. But you know, bearing in mind, you know, we were up against basically a straightforward European car, which was running very, very, you know, as Derek said, you know, a huge fuel tank in it and and two spares i mean it was running 50 60 probably probably 70 kilos heavier in the boot than it normally did and you know it was in danger of falling apart so it did incredibly well and tommy drove i think i think that was actually the drive of his life Now, i mean that, that's hard to say that about tommy because you think about his four four um monte carlo wins when the guy is he's like he's the human version of 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 skid control, you know, he's anti-skid control. The man is amazing. Um, but I think that Safari Rally, his judgment there was amazing. Granted, his, you know, one of his closest friends was Juha Kankanen, who was not there. He want, desperately wanted to be there, but wasn't allowed to come by Toyota. We were there, but without him. And I'm quite, I'm quite sure that uh, he would have told Tommy what he needed to know as well to go out and do that. I mean, Tommy basically went out and broke the car during the recce during the test he broke the car everywhere he could to find out where it broke and then he, then he, then so then he knew where the car would break and he drove inside that that's incredible judgement now we had we had a similar situation you know we had a, we had a very very strong car but we knew it had some weaknesses and in fairness we didn't manage to drive it and the, you know ian duncan well, granted it was a massive push and the push had been going all day. I mean, it was an incredible battle all day and it was just that last little section down from the Mao Escarpment down to Lake Naivasha where where the car broke. It was a bit of a shame. Um, but ultimately, you know, you're a bit unlucky, you hit the wrong hole at the wrong time. Call it an error of judgment. Some people call it luck. I'm I, As you know, I'm a big fan of saying you make your own luck. Tommy made his own luck there. He made that team's luck. Make no mistake. The team worked very very hard to give tommy what he needed but it was tommy that figured out tommy was a one-man event engineer for that whole rally it was amazing
0: and what we have to remember george is that it was makinen's first time in africa he'd yeah, never been yeah. before
2: Never Tom, been before uh, uh, colin uh, okay uh,
0: uh, yet to be world champion at this point so he's experienced but he's not massively experienced and and as you say the intelligence to go out there guided, obviously, by a fantastic team around him with real foresight, real ability to work out what was needed to win the event, but real pressure on them to do that. But, you know, Mackinac, to be able to go there under those circumstances with that pressure, with that little experience, you know, I, I agree with you. I
2: think it's just one of the most remarkable remar- remarkable events of all time. Uh, I mean, Derek. Derek outlined it very quickly. You know, they went there with a bit of an idea how to do it. Derek had never been there before, but he'd been sending stuff out to the event for the for the 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 the, the Japanese team, so he knew a little bit about what was expected. Knew they had nothing like the same. Obviously, had figured out a plan, but they basically just trusted Tommy implicitly. And and Tommy was just allowed to do what he needed to do. And they just every time he broke the car, they would identify what had broken, they would fix it, they would they would mitigate that problem. Tommy would have looked at that and said, "Okay, that's going to happen again, so I need to not do that again." Or now that you've you've solved that, I can continue at this pace. Honestly, he was a one-man safari engineer. And what was it that? Uh, yeah. Derek said he was there for six weeks. The drivers were probably there for about six weeks as well. So in six weeks, they they condensed. And well, first of all, it was a, it was a new event. It was a different event. It was it was still the same sort of rally as Safari Rally was, but just condensed, shorter, but no less intense. I mean, I remember the intensity. Uh, all the teams we were all standing together. I remember standing with, uh, uh, well, it would have been Phil Short and and. And and um, um, John Spiller just just outside the control at that little town uh, at the end of the last section that day, heading into Lake Naivasha. I think we went back down to Nairobi that night on a on a road section. And and honestly, we were all just chatting. And it was the the intensity. You could see the lights in the distance, you know, coming down from the escarpment. But there were still thirty kilometers away at that point, you know. Wow. Uh, the helicopters, wow. the helicopters were gone. It was night time. The helicopters were gone. They were finished. Um, those drivers came down there on their lonesome, and it, yeah. it, it was a hell of a fight. It was, it was amazing. I remember uh, John's because when when um, when uh, Ian Duncan came through, of course the the rear shockers had gone up through the the, the back window of the car on the it was a Celica uh, one eight five. Uh, we didn't have any plastic. We, we we went with a very small team. I mean, it was a very very small team of people. We had twenty, twenty-five people there, tops, um, uh, and a few local, a few locals. We went with a, a, a really massively smaller team. Um, the we didn't have that much in the way of spares with us. As I said, we didn't even have the right the right parts for the car. Um, we didn't have any plastic uh, rear windows, and uh, we had no no spare no spare windows back at uh, back at base. I think we'd maybe used them all already. And John Spiller went and organised a, a big sheet of plastic from one of his vans and gave it to us, so we could paste that in the window. That that was so nice. So and George,
0: because nice. just to let you know, obviously Spiller is a name I'm sure a lot of our listeners are familiar oh, he, with. But just remind us, he was with Subaru at the time, right? He
2: he was he was a Subaru team manager. Yeah, with uh, with Prodrive, the Prodrive Subaru team. So and, and 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 Phil of course was a team manager for uh, for the Mitsubishi team and Phil remember Phil had a huge amount of uh, safari experience as well so he he knew how to to manage I mean there's there's a lot of unseen things happen on safari rallies a team manager you are managing the gaps between the cars listening into the organizers radio to find out where the cars are you have got no idea where you are minute to minute um it, it's quite interesting and I, I mean I, I remember on the the Safari Rally, I did with Mitsubishi Rally. I did one Safari Rally with Mitsubishi, which we won, and um, uh, that again, that was in a changed era. But it was still very, very difficult to know where you were gap wise. So basically, I'd, I'd, I was in a very well-honed team uh, working with Derek at that time, and uh, basically, I just, I just focused in on managing that gap for for Tommy, so that he knew exactly where he was. Even when you checked into control, Tommy, get into that control a minute early. You need to be in front. These guys are going for it. And you would go in a minute. And that would be you, a minute in front. You, you got a dust-free run, you know? You'd you, you you take, take, you take, you take yeah, penalty to, 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 to get in front on the road when you needed and to. that, that and, would have
0: been 2001, I was, I was, George. But if we go back to your days with
2: you Toyota, Toyota, obviously. Because yeah, that, wonderful. That really, wonderful times. Yeah. Yeah. You
0: know, it was... 1995, and it was the end of an era, really, for Toyota and Safari, wasn't it? You know, 1995 was the fourth year in a row you'd won that event. You you won there, as you say, in '96 officially, but it never was the same with Toyota and Safari after that. You never managed to replicate that success that you'd enjoyed.
2: No, I mean that was. Uh, d- 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 don't open a, open a bitter wound for me, oh. Colin, please. <laughs> and, um, <laughs> the the event had quite clearly changed in 96 uh and and uh i'm afraid our our engineers were still focused on the old days and we never changed our car to make it light and fast we always we went with the old ethos we never changed enough um and i remember in 98 i think it must have been 98 Safari rally, we went out there. The The guys had been... Uh, was Ian Duncan had been testing down there with our test team since before Christmas. We went down there. Everything had been reported as fine. I remember going down there after the Swedish rally with uh, Juha and... Uh, with uh, Carlos and Didier. And they went out in the car, 50 kilometres. The shock absorbers failed on both cars. Wow. And so we changed them. What's going on here? And another 50 kilometres and they failed. This is 98. And... Uh, what what's going on here? What, you know we're running we're running Olin suspension by this point. How how come our Olin's are failing and no one else's are? Well, it's a, an Olin's over with our own modification on it, Toyota's own modification on it, um, or the or TTE's own modification on it, I should say, and it was it was honestly speaking, it was a disaster. And I, I can remember Carlos, in the workshop, with with this engineer with Dago, getting so so angry. I'm sitting there. And so I'm, at this point, I'm the team manager. I've got another workshop manager down there. By that point, with Carlos saying, you know, asking for an explanation, how 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 can this car not do more than fifty kilometres? You've been down here for three months, and uh, you know at that time it was still very hard to phone back to Europe. But of course, he'd be on the phone back to Uva Anderson, absolutely furious. I mean, what's going on here? Why come? I've not got a car, and then the team working desperately in the same fashion that. Uh, in the same fashion that Mitsubishi, that that, uh, Derek was telling us about, fixing things with bits of rubber, bits of steel. The guys worked like hell. The suspension guys had some ideas to modify the shock absorbers. Guys that hadn't been there for three months came down and and started to fix it, and we made a car that nearly worked. We didn't win Safari Rally in 98. We were very close at one point. I think think both years we finished third, 98 and 99. I could be wrong. Correct me if I'm wrong. But it was disappointing, yeah.
0: Yeah, but tell me, tell me how that happens. How does that happen? How do you go out with a guy like Ian Duncan who knows those stages like the back of his hand. He knows Toyotas. He's tested for 3 months. Surely you've got the setup right to actually give your drivers a chance of winning. How does that happen that your your lead driver comes out and on the first day discovers that your shocks aren't up to it?
2: I I I I genuinely am a loss, but I, I remember I remember um, having a huge row myself with Doug Aurora about this. He was furious that that I was siding with Carlos. So maybe maybe that kind of says it all, really, doesn't it? I mean, I've, of course, I was saying I mean I'm I'm a winner. I wanted to win, uh, and and they'd been down there for three months. You know, were they on holiday or what? I have no idea. I have no idea. I've no idea. I mean, I tell you what. I tell you what. To so make one thing absolutely clear, our engineers over the over the years did an incredible job. There was mistakes made that year. Sadly, they were emulated the following year as well. Um, and, and 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 both Carlos mentions- and both Carlos and Didier were 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 um, denied the chance for victory in Safari. And Didier loved Safari Rally. The, remember the first year he went, must have been nineteen. 19- it must have been 1993, yeah, 1993, I think was the first year he went. First year he was with us, it was such a surprise to him. But, you know, by the yeah. end of it, he, he he loved it and he loved, I mean, Diddy was just an incredible driver, very underrated in some ways and, and uh, maybe overrated in others. But um, I, I found him the most incredible guy. I really loved working with him, so passionate and a uh, very, very fair guy as well.
0: I'm sure. George, you mentioned a few times there, uh, the boss, Uwe Anderson, Mm -hmm. he was a man that had a lot of love for Africa as well, a lot of experience of of competing in that part of the world. Just how difficult, just how difficult were those phone calls? He wasn't an easy man to work for. I mean, uh, you know, maybe that's why you got on with him so well. You're you're two pretty strong characters. Um, But just how difficult were those phone calls after 95 to explain Suspension failures and and that and, kind and of thing. Uh,
2: that was uh, ninety. That was ninety eight and ninety nine. Uh, Richard went on to win in ninety eight. I think uh, I remember Derek's uh, call on that. We, I mean, I don't think we were at the races at all that year. I mean, we might, we might have been close, but we were. There was no way we were going to compete with the suspension that we had. Um, the the, and Uva was out there by then. I mean, he would have been out for the event and seeing what was going on. I, I, I don't know. I mean, Uva. Uva loved engineering and he was a very very uh, loyal person and and uh I remember thinking this is going to be this is going to be fairly hard for that engineer to, to explain this uh, but quite frankly it needed explaining it needed rectification and we needed to make damn sure it never happened again and I guess Uva got his explanation I wasn't part of that I was I wasn't uh, I, I didn't I didn't particularly want to know about it it was being dealt with um uh between Uva and the engineer um I know that our drivers were quite disillusioned after that experience and we went back the next year and we had exactly the same damn thing, Colin.
0: Yeah, it yeah. A, it
2: was a bit of a... It was, it was, it was very, un-Toyota-like.
0: Very, very un-Toyota-like.
2: It was, I mean, again, that was the loyalty because Uva, Uva was very loyal to, to, to his staff for the most part. He did break faith with me once, which was very hard. I mean, I did what he wanted, and then he, and, and, and then it was all my fault. But hey, you look it. It's it's the way it, it's it's the way it is. It's the, the way, way it remember. goes.
1: Yeah, remember, it worst
2: day of, worst day of my life. You know that that'll be one of them. Um, the but no, he 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 obviously um. He he obviously felt a great deal of loyalty, and remember that those that same team of engineers. Took us to Safari Rally for the first time with the GT4 Celica, a car that was remarkably fragile on European events, and and they gave us a Safari win at a time when we were up against it, eighty nine ninety, uh, up against all the all the Lancia's, and we were you know we we're getting a whipping everywhere we went, and we went out to Kenya, and that particular engineer gave us a win, gave us a win at a time when it was so critical. So Uwe wouldn't have forgotten that. And I guess there was the out, wasn't it? That was the out. Um, yeah, so, so, George, we, so we made a mistake in 98.
0: We've been talking uh, wonderful stories for for the past hour or so, George. Uh, wait, not, not started, uh, uh, I've not
2: got past the first five minutes of the story yet. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> that's, that's I mean, probably it's probably a very, very boring
0: no, I, it's, I, I'm loving it. But is there any particular story you want to tell? Because I, I just want to move on to the current okay. day. Okay, here's, here's an image. It. But was there here's anything a... in
2: particular? Here's an image, Colin. That very first safari rally. Um, at the end of, it must have been the, the the second or third day of the rally. Myself and a mechanic uh, that I was with, a guy called uh, Jerry. Uh, an Irish lad, sadly no longer with us. Jerry was an absolute hoot of a guy. We'd had a great event up till then and it continued to be good. So the cars had been driving all night. They'd gone all the way from Nairobi down to Mombasa and then driven little, well, not quite Mombasa, I think we'd gone down to a place called McKinnon Road, believe it or not, and then we'd come back up through a rough section. They'd gone all through the the Taita Hills section around the Savo, Savo West Park, Loy Toki Tok, back through the, the Chula range of hills overnight. And uh, Jerry and I, our previous service had been south of Voy Lodge at a place, I think, called Maunga. I think it was maybe that, or maybe Bundama or something. There was a, a section in to to um, the Rukanga Loop, it was called. I can't remember the name of the, the little town. I think it was Maunga. And Bjorn came in for a quick service, and it was only going to be a top off of fuel, and we had to put a hundred liters of fuel in Jerry on the pump. Me holding the holding the uh, the filler into the into the the fuel tank. The, these these fuel fillers they had about a hundred millimeter hose diameter on them, so you could put fuel in really quickly. Jerry was a powerful guy. He uh, he he pumped. I put the fuel in. We put it in, and we had to position ourselves and make sure we were positioned behind the, the Lancia team so that Bjorn and Juha had arrived more or less simultaneously. Bjorn stopped with us. Juha uh, came past us, went in front, and we saw them jacking the car up to change the tyres, and we filled the fuel in. Uh, they were both on the same minute, so the rules were the first person at the control would start first into the section. They were in exactly the same minute. So we, we'd positioned ourselves correctly. Bjorn had organised it. I'd, I had Henry Lyddon on the radio making sure we were in the right place. So this is, this is probably about 11 o'clock at night. We watched them going into that Mwanga section. Bjorn pulled out and flew into the section in front of Yuha. Juha followed him the entire night. And the next morning, up at a place called kajiado Probably about a three hundred and fifty kilometer drive for us, maybe a five or six hundred kilometer drive for the drivers. Um, Bjorn and Yuha appeared over over the horizon uh, at Kajiado. We could see them from about five or six kilometers away. Who would be first? Jerry and I were sitting there watching. We had a, we had everything laid out: tires, fuel, um, uh, and and again they didn't want to stop. They were driving on into main service in Nairobi. Uh, if if they had to, it was only about fifty kilometers away, sixty kilometers, and uh, we watched the cars. Which one, which car would appear first? The first thing it was, it was it maybe had been forty-five minutes into daylight, and uh, we'd sent a. Obviously, the team had sent an airplane out, um, uh, to to try and spot them on the way. in. we didn't have helicopters at that time, and uh, and anyway, the, the rally was too fast. then. the Group B cars on those African roads, the cars were doing. 140 miles, an hour, helicopters couldn't keep up. The first thing we saw was this airplane coming over the horizon, and, uh, but it was about f- maybe four or five miles away. And then you could see the stream of dust coming over the horizon. Who will it be? Who will it be? Who will it be? And, and they, they sort of, it, it, the, the, the section almost came in sort of parallel, but, but uh, speeding in towards the, the highway. And we were about maybe a kilometre after the control we were set up, and we saw this car come past, and it was Bjorn. It was Bjorn. And uh, he came in and he pulled into us and uh, we were watching and then we could see another airplane arriving. And Bjorn came in and he said, can you see the other car yet? Can you see the other car yet? No, no. And he said, how are my back tyres? Checked his back tires they're still OK. We don't need fuel, we're fine, we're gone. And on we went. And that was him. He'd actually made three minutes on Yuha over the course of an entire night's rally, probably done about, about five or six hundred kilometres of sections. I think there was a short regroup in uh, Kilimanjaro Buffalo Lodge on that section, and there'd been a little bit of rain, I think, um, south of Loitokitok, with the black, the famous black cotton dust. That was an amazing moment seeing those cars arriving. Amazing,
0: hey, George. I'm, I'm, I'm sitting visualizing it, and it literally is giving me goosebumps. So the, the speed fine, of the
2: car. The speed it's of the car. Just
0: that, George. I mean, it's, it's the, it's, it's the, uh, you, know, the understanding of, of just you how much of an adventure rallying really was in those days so that's 5 or 600 kilometers flat out most of the time can oh, that
2: was that can't. was all section that was all section that, that from when you went in at, at uh, moanga the, the Rukanga loop you you came out you literally you came out you went straight into the Tata hill sections then you would go out across out towards the the border i can't remember the name of the town just short of the border, just on the south end of Kilimanjaro. And you went up round the edge, right round the edge of the border of Tanzania and up to wow. through Loitokitok. Wow. Back along a, a, a slightly bigger road, but still gravel gravel to a place called Kilaguni. And, and then you went north up the, through the Chulas, which was a devil of a section. Long grass, long grass, wicked. Makatani, yeah, up the pipeline... Up the pipeline and then th- through another, you know, one hundred and twenty-kilometer section up to Caggiado. Amazing.
0: Yeah, and and you know, again, so we're driving through the night. You're driving your enormous what you're calling sections, and they were known as sections in those days. Um, Group B cars, one hundred and forty miles an hour, two hundred and whatever that is, ten twenty kilometers an hour. two hundred forty kph, two forty. Two forty kph. Goodness yeah. me. Yeah. Uh, on open roads.
2: You know, these aren't closed it, it was, roads. These aren't commercial roads. Colin, it was a road race. But look, the yeah. whole country understood it. The, the, yes. the speed limits were suspended for rally cars and rally teams. There was no speed limits. Everybody knew. Everyone, everyone. So you, you, you were going, if you were in a rally car, so they always ran with these wing lights on. The wing lights were historically to stop the, the spotlights getting muddy. But they became like a telltale. When you saw a car with those lights on coming fast, you would see all the all the matatus, all the buses. Everybody would pull over off the road. It was understood. Um, it was. I, I, there weren't many. There, there weren't many accidents, you know. And the sort of accidents there were, were were people panicking to get off the road, and they would slip off into a ditch. And you know, uh, a matatu would be half on its side or something. You know, nobody was going that fast, so it wasn't uh, it wasn't an issue at that time. And um, it, it was an amazing event. And I mean, such an atmosphere. But I mean, I remember I remember at that point with Jerry thinking to myself, this is just the most amazing experience pinching both Jerry and I. I mean, we we talked about it in those terms. We pinched ourselves because we, we could hardly believe we were there. Jerry was the same as same sort of guy as me. Uh, we we pinched oh, ourselves um, thinking about it, and and you are saying, look, this is like you know, this is like a 1950s millimiglia, but it's but it's a milliquattromiglia. a milli, a, a milli quattro miglia. You know, it's four thousand kilometers of of of. It was a four thousand, four and a half thousand kilometer event, three thousand plus competitive, and in 1986 it would have been yeah, it would have been amazing, 3,
0: amazing stuff, many, George. And, uh, just you know, as we sit here today. As we sit here today, George, it is 25 years since Toyota last won the Safari Rally. The event is still on. It does look highly likely that, sadly, the return to the Safari Rally this year will probably be cancelled. If we're lucky, it'll be postponed. But I, I suspect it'll be cancelled, and then, fingers crossed, we'll go back next year. But y- you have to say that you're 25 years since Toyota won their last Safari Rally, with Tommy Mackinan in charge, the only team boss with any experience, and it's not just any experience, but vast experience of the Safari Rally. Tommy Mackin in charge with Ogier there, the most intelligent driver in the field. Elvin Evans there, who is looking like a real competitor on any surface. And Cali Rovin-Pera, who can do just about anything. Um, mm. You have a very good chance we might well have seen a first victory for Toyota there in 25 years. You know, we'll keep our fingers crossed it does happen and by the time this podcast comes out, there may be further news. Uh, but, you know, George, how excited were you about the prospect of seeing Toyota on the Safari again this year?
2: Uh, Colin, if you, if you cut me down the middle, it'll probably say Toyota on one side and, and Subaru on the other. Um, I have a huge affinity for Toyota. Uh, um, Tommy's a very good friend, even though I've probably upset him in the last week. Um, I'm, I'm hoping he's still my friend. Uh, uh, I would love to see him and his team succeed uh, in Safari Rally. Sebastian Ogier, such an intelligent guy. They'll figure out what they have to do. Elfin Evans, proving also to be, you know, quite clever. Everybody's going there with the same chances. I mean, it's a great leveler. So just exactly what Elfin needs to to see what they need to do. But I've been looking at the sections they're running, and and you know they're running on the same some of the same roads we used to run on. Um, you know those roads are really rural roads up there. You know they're they're up there on the edge <laughs> of the Mao Escarpment again. Just that that little bit that I just talked about. Uh, you know the, yeah. the dusty road with the huge dust holes in it. They're running all around that. They're running. Uh, I think they're running one stage through and over Hellsgate National Park, past the big uh, thermal, uh, it's all thermal area around there, it's all volcanoes, there you are, Nobody, nobody's mentioned the volcanoes. They're not really active volcanoes. Well, they are, because it's all thermal, there's huge thermal uh, power stations around there. So they're running some of those sections over there, and I think they were actually maybe running around Suswa, another monster of a section, you can, you can run it as a 25, 30 kilometer, maybe maybe 50 kilometre section, um and that's still in the in the ballpark there. So look, my point being is I think it'll still be a very, very tough test. It will be, it'll be like a it'll be like a it'll be like a uh, an enteric coated aspirin seventy-five instead of a full strength one, you know? What? But it'll still be it'll still be it'll still be an aspirin. It'll still George. be a safari. It'll be I, great. I
0: am looking I am looking at videos that a friend of mine has sent to me from Kenya this morning of a route survey that's going on there this morning and it does it does look remarkably challenging. I mean these are dirt tracks. These are yes. dark tracks and they are literally, you know, grass down the middle, dirt tracks. Oh. And they disappear. Disappear at times. There is
2: there is no construction in these roads. These are not macadam roads. These are not roads with a hard base construction. They are just a route through the through the the wilderness basically that's what they are
0: well georgie um, let's keep our fingers crossed that we
2: do saf- well safari safari rally colin is one that should be able to be delayed and postponed slightly uh running safari in um in uh, right even right up to christmas it would it would do very very well Um, you get the small rains uh just before christmas uh they're they're not they're not big rains but it damps everything down a little bit really really nice there in october november gorgeous weather so a good time to be there um very nice to go go there when we're we're in the the bite of our winter if i go to kenya i'll just not come back i'll just not come back (laughs) it is gorgeous look it's an event with great flavor it's an event with great flavor and you know there's the scenery out of nairobi up to lake navasha you you leave Nairobi, you you go up the the A1 uh, road, um, the A or so A104 I think it is. You 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 go up uh, right up over the escarpment, and and as you come up over the escarpment, there's a, a a lookout point just on the highest point of that road. You come up through the forest, and it can get very cold. You go up to about eight thousand feet. You start off at five thousand feet. You go up to about eight, maybe nine thousand feet, and then you, you you get up there. There's a viewpoint, and it looks out over the most classic. Dormant volcano. In fact, I think it's possibly extinct. Uh, Longanot crater, and you look right into the crater from above it, and it's across, it's across the valley, probably about ten or twelve kilometres away, and you, you're looking literally right into this crater. It's the most amazing crater, and that's the small one. The big one's behind that. Suswa is behind it. Um, it's, uh, it it's, you know... it's less classically shaped, but that's amazing. And and you know, if you kept driving north, I swear you could be you could be in Finland one minute. You could be in Norway the next, with the chasms, and you think, where am I? It's it's all forests, but these huge fjord-like chasms. Well, that's called the the African Rift Valley. It's a little you know spear off it um, uh, was it uh, Kerio Valley up uh, up past uh, Cabernet the most amazing little spur off uh, of the the, the 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 Great African Rift Valley. Amazing, amazing scenery. Well,
0: let's just keep our fingers crossed, George, that we do get back to Africa. You're painting a wonderful picture. You really are, Uh, George Donaldson. uh, Obviously, uh, a delight and a joy to listen to your many, many stories about the Safari Rally. Uh, We will be picking up again probably next week, maybe the week after, with your recollection of, uh, from Toyota's point of view, one of the most disappointing rallies that I suppose you've ever taken part in, the 1998. REC rally uh, which Carlos Sainz obviously will remember well but George uh, your memories of Africa have kept me captivated for the past hour and a quarter or so Uh, once again George Donaldson thank you very very much
2: uh, for your thoughts
0: and your memories it's been great it's
2: been a pleasure and uh, I I guess uh, I mean I feel we've only done five minutes of an hour so that means there's another uh, 12 12 programs to come sorry (laughs) I won't do that to everyone Waxing lyrical. Thank you, Colin.
1: George Donaldson doing what he does best by painting pictures with words and taking us all to the continent of Africa and back to Kenya. The rally is due to take place on July the 16th to the 19th this year, 2020. Whether it will or not, the best place you can stay tuned to is Dirtfish.com. We will bring you the very latest rally news and post it as soon as we get it. But that's it for now. So why not subscribe for the very next episode to be delivered to your device? And I'll speak to you then.